Hi, I'm Risa Milne. I am a recovered alcoholic and uh, sorry about that whole recording issue at the beginning. Um, usually um, that is my job. So Ryan was trying to take it over and uh, he's new to it. So we'll, we'll, we'll give him that. Anyway, my sobriety date is March 3rd, 2004. I am a recovered alcoholic and um, this is my home group and I am very excited to be able to be here um, this morning on the new year and to be able to provide a foundation meeting to those um, who are here. Um, so just a, a little bit about a foundation meeting, because I, I see a lot of people I know and love who know what one is. And then I also see a lot of new people here, new faces. And and I remember um, hearing about foundation meetings maybe uh, early on in the pandemic. And uh, and I wondered, what is that? What is that thing? And, and I put it in a chat and somebody said, oh, it's a, a newcomer meeting. And, uh, and immediately my mind, of course, snapped shut. And I was like, I'm not a newcomer. I don't need to listen to this thing. And so I figured, you know, um, the I ended up listening to um, a foundation meeting. Um, I fell in love immediately with them. And uh, so so what a foundation meeting is, is it's a meeting. Um, it's, it's a talk in which we um, can better help um, express what is Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, there is uh, an article by by or a letter written by Bill W. And in it says our chief responsibility to the newcomer is an adequate presentation of the program. And um, and that is what a foundation meeting does. It, it, it talks about um, what are what are diseases? What is alcoholism based on what the big book talks about what alcoholism is? It is um, it talks about what our program of action is and the steps to get there. And so um, that is what we're going to be doing today. Um, and uh, and as somebody who had time listening to it, you know, I was like, oh, well, why do I need this thing? And and I remember, you know, thinking that and I, you know, listened to it and I go into I go into um, commitments um, to to be of service to to be of helpfulness and usefulness and in, in uh, uh, institutions and and this foundation meeting is something that I take in with me all the time. It helps me to focus um, on the solution, on the primary purpose of Alcoholics Anonymous, and not get too much into. Um, the the drudgery of just my drinking and and so i i love this meeting um if you're new i really hope that you get some something out of this that there is a solution to alcoholism here if you're you're older like me um and i hope you have a closed or a, not a closed mind an open mind and um and if you have your big book you definitely want your big book um in front of you because we will be going through it i'll be uh, letting you know what pages I'm on and, and all of that stuff. Um, and one other thing about the foundation meeting is oftentimes we hear in Alcoholics Anonymous many different things, um, you know, and, and, and some of it is, is based on what's in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and some of it's not. And, um, 
I've found that as I'm as I'm focused on what is in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, my recovery, my spirituality, and my ability to pass that along to newcomers is infinitely much better than if I'm just, you know, coming out of things um, and 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 talking through um things that maybe I just heard in meetings that that aren't necessarily um helpful or useful to me. And so hopefully, you know, um, we can get into some truth of what Alcoholics Anonymous is and uh, in our recovery program. So um, as I like to start with all my sponsees, we are going to start on the very first title page of Alcoholics Anonymous um, on the book. And um, that is, uh, the start is, this, this is the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. You know, that is a promise. That's a promise right there in the very first part of this book that we can recover from, from this hopeless mind, uh, state of mind and body. We, we, oftentimes I hear people talking about, um, recovering. Um, and, and thankfully I'm not constant, I'm not in a constant state of recovering. I have recovered and, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about specifically what that means, because it definitely doesn't mean I am cured of alcoholism. Um, and so from this page, we're going to go over to the, the preface, which is on page XI. So on page XI, it says, because this book has become the basic text for our society and has helped such large numbers of alcoholic men and women to recovery, there exists strong sentiment against any radical changes being made in it. Therefore, the first portion of this volume describing the AA recovery program has been left largely untouched in the course of revisions made for the second, third, and fourth editions. So this talks about that this is the basic text of our society um, and has helped large numbers of alcoholic men and women to recovery. So what that tells me is this is where my instructions are. You know, the definition of a textbook is a, a text is a book to be studied, preferably with a teacher. So that tells me two things about that. One, I continue to study it and it has an answer to all of my questions. Um, Today, I am a student, a practitioner, and a teacher of this program and of this text. Um, and there was a time at, at one point where I was just a student and a teacher, and I stopped practicing the things that were in this book. And, um, you know, that's the wonderful thing about this program is that we do have continual practice that we can take so that we no longer have to live um, in, an, in our alcoholism alcoholic minds. Um, so we're going to go over to page XIII. And those of you who actually know what the Roman numerals are, that's page eight Roman numerals. And that's the forward to the first edition. And what this says is we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. For them, we hope these pages will prove so convincing 
that no further authentication will be necessary. We think this account of our experience will help everyone to better understand the alcoholic. So again, here we have um, a paragraph. It's telling us that this is our instruction book. This is all I need. This book is all I need to recover from from a hopeless state of mind and body. And again, we talked about recovered and what it says is a hopeless state of mind and body. And all that means, all that simply means is that I no longer think about constantly putting alcohol in my body and I no longer actually put alcohol in my body. And that is all that means being recovered. Um, and uh, so from here, you know, this this talks about how um, how this is our our main purpose of our book. So let's go over. Let's see some numbers that this book has has brought about on page XX. And that is towards the end of the forward to the second edition. So <clears throat> it talks about of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses. And among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. So utilizing this big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in our early days, we had over a 75% success rate. That's pretty impressive because today, if you go and try and find the, the success rate of, of Alcoholics Anonymous, one, it's very hard to figure out our fellow, our, our membership. Um, and, and, you know, we've grown so big. However, that number is very dismal compared to this 75% success rate today. Um, and what that, you know, shows is, you know, again, we are. I thankfully belong to a meeting where we focus on the big book. We stick we stick to the big book, to the directions in the big book. Um, but there are many meetings out there that are not doing that any longer. And if this is our instruction book, if this is where we are finding our way of living, that is going to help us in all aspects of our life. Um, and I walk away from that. I'm probably not going to have the same success rates as the early as the early um, alcoholics did in in that time. Um, so we're gonna go over to page. We're gonna talk a little bit about what alcoholism is, and we're gonna go to page. I'm skipping around. There is an actual format of a foundation meeting and you can find it um, on the website um, at ppgdallas.org. Um, there is a link in the chat. Um, I have, I do not follow it fully. And if you're interested in it, you can definitely go there and check it out and, and listen to, to some other foundation meetings. But um what I like to go to is page 30. So <clears throat> not page 30. Um, the first step. Yes. Okay. It is page 30. I apologize. So the first step, we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholic. This is the first step in recovery. 
Okay. So I need to fully concede to my innermost self that I'm an alcoholic. What's that mean? What's that mean? Because I stuck around rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous for a while and I sat around and I heard people talking about their consequences. And when I came in, I was pretty young. I was I was 22 years old. I got sober at 24 years old. And I would sit there and I'd listen to people talking about how they lost their jobs, how they lost uh, their wives, how they lost their families, their homelessness. You know, they they were in jails, they were in prisons, they were institutionalized. And I got to say, I never experienced any of that. You know, I, I, I had a few run-ins with, you know, being pulled over, but I never actually, I, I, I happened to be in the right place at the right time, maybe. And, and I never ended up having any of those same um, consequences. And I sat there thinking, maybe I'm not an alcoholic. This hasn't happened to me. You know, and then I would sit there and I'd hear people tell me, you know, oh, I, I spilled more beer than you ever drank. And, you know, and talking about the amount that they drank or the type of alcohol that they drank. And and again, I'd sit there thinking, maybe I'm not an alcoholic. Maybe I shouldn't be sitting in these rooms. Maybe something uh, something else is wrong with me. And uh, and it took a while before I found out what alcoholism actually was. Because I always thought it was maybe it's the way I grew up. Maybe it was the trauma I had in my life or maybe, you know, I become an alcoholic, you know, because I, I, I have to drink this much or maybe I become an alcoholic when I finally lose my house or I lose my job. And um and really, you know, that stuff kind of kept me sicker. That that kept me sicker because I didn't know what alcohol was. And so we're going to go and find out what is alcoholism. It's probably a good idea if I need to it to to fully concede this thing to my innermost self, I should probably know what it is. So we're going to go back over to the doctor's opinion on page 28 or XXVIIII. If you do have a third edition, it is in a different place. I don't know that number, <laughs> but um, uh, so we have this wonderful man, this, this doctor, his name was Dr. Silkworth and he was not an alcoholic. He was, um, he was a doctor in a, in a hospital called towns. And he was really finding out more and more about him is really cool. So what happened is he had this detox and oftentimes he brought alcoholics and drug addicts in and, and treated them similarly to the, to how you would see them be treated in detox and, and, um, and in rehabs today. And he would, they would provide all these treatments. And, and what he would see is he would see 90% of these people leave the hospital, take up their beds and walk again, happily and joyously. Um, and, and they would live their lives and, and very would not return. Then he would see this other 10% of these people and he would, and they would just continue to come back through his doors. And not only were they not getting better, but they were continually getting worse. And he became obsessed with them, not obsessed, maybe. I mean, I become obsessed when people aren't doing things I want them to do, but he became interested in them and he started to want to know a little bit more about them. And so he started to really get in, involved in, in this group of people. And, uh, and he called these people chronic alcoholics, the real alcoholic. 
um, because they continued to come back over and over again, and they continued to get worse. And so what he's talking about here on page 28 is what he's observing with these type of alcoholics that continue to come back. So at the top of this, it says, we believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy. So a manifestation is just something that's presented. That is all it is. It's a big word that took me a while to understand, but it's a manifestation and it's just something that happens that he sees. Um, an allergy, if you looked up allergy back in the 1935s, all it means, it, was, it wasn't even in the medical dictionaries yet. All it meant was abnormal reaction. So something that happened to these guys that was different than other people. Um, it was a phenomenon of craving, <clears throat> that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. So the way that this looks is when I put a, when I put a drink in my body, something abnormal happens that doesn't happen to my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law, I love her. She's a social drinker. I, I'm obsessed with it. I'm obsessed with social drinkers. And, and I watch as she, you know, for the holidays, you know, she pours herself a glass of wine. She loves a glass of wine. She pours herself a glass of wine. She starts to drink maybe half of it. She sets it down somewhere. Sometimes she forgets it. Sometimes she goes back to it. After about drinking that down, she starts to say things like, I'm starting to feel this a little bit, you know? Oh, I'm getting a little headache. I'm going to stop. You know, I don't understand that. I, I love that um, about her. I know where her glass of wine is the whole entire time. Like, I'm like, oh, there's her glass. Why isn't she with her glass of wine? Why isn't it finished? Why isn't she on the fifth one yet? Um, <laughs> But so what happens to me is something very abnormally different. Once I start to drink that glass of wine, my body starts to crave more. Um, there is a lot more um, research into this nowadays. If you like, go Google it. I'm not a doctor. I can't tell you all of the things that go on in our body that happen. However, what it looked like to me when I was drinking, because I'm not out there drinking and thinking, oh, I I've got an allergy, you know, like what it looked like is I changed my mind, you know, or, or, oh, I've got more time, you know, like that's what it looked like to me. And so what would happen to me with this allergy is I go out to the bar. I knew full well, I need, I worked the, the C shift all the time and I knew full well that I needed to go and be at work at 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And my girlfriends were going out at like six and I didn't want to miss out. So I would go to the bar and I would think to myself, I'm going to have one. I'm going to go have one. I'm going to enjoy myself with them and I'm going to have a good time. And uh, and then I'll go to work. And so I would go to the bar and what would happen is I'd, I'd order a glass of wine or a beer, usually a tequila shot, usually started with shots for me. Um, and I'd start to drink that down. And immediately my body would start to react. And what would happen is in my mind, I would think, you know what? I had one, I can handle another one. You know, I don't have to be at work for quite a few more hours. I can have one more. And so I would start to drink one more. And all of a sudden that mind, I start to change my mind. 
I start to think I don't need just one or two. I could have even another one. And so after this happens, I start to do the alcoholic math, you know, like the alcoholic math of, okay, if I drink this one and I space it out to here and I put this much time and maybe I get something to eat and maybe I put something in my stomach, I'm going to start being able to, to handle myself by about eight o'clock at night. And by that time, you know, if I drink enough water, I can at least get to work with the buzz. I won't be dr too drunk to drive and I can get to work. And so I start calculating that out. And as the drinks keep going into my body, my mind starts to change again. And the next thing I know is, you know, I'm starting to think about, all right, what excuse have I not given them yet? Which, which aunt hasn't died yet? What diseases, what, you know, a strep throat going on around Rochester right now is, you know, but what, oh, I think I'm starting to feel a tickle in my throat. I shouldn't go into work if I'm feeling sick, you know, like, and, and so that's pre presently what happens. And, and eventually, you know, I'd like to say that I called in um, to work. Usually it was, I just didn't show up. Um, and what would happen is, um, you know, I'd lose another job because the thing is I full well knew that I would be losing another job. If I called in one more time, if I didn't show up one more time, and if I lost another job, I was going to have to call my mom and I was going to have to ask my mom for more money and let her know that this is what happened. And I'd have to listen to the barrage of the, of the speech that my mother was going to make for me and tell me all of these things. And, uh, and I was going to start to hate myself even more. And I was going to just feel so much self-pity and, and loneliness and despair because of just constantly not being able to hold a job. But that didn't stop me at that time. That wasn't what stopped me at that time. And so I continued to drink and, and what would happen? I'll tell you what would happen in a few minutes. But if we go down to the bottom of this page, XXVIII, it says men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. I loved the effect produced by alcohol. And I'm going to let everybody in on a little secret that I just found out maybe about a year or so ago. A lot of people, not just alcoholics, like the effect produced by alcohol. I thought for some reason, I thought that was just us, but a lot of people like the effect produced by alcohol. I loved it and I constantly was chasing it. It says the sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. Elusive means I cannot catch that again. You know, I'm, I'm constantly trying to get this over and over again. I can't get that again because it's just elusive. I can't, it just slips through my fingers every time. However, every single time I pick up a drink, I am trying to get back to that effect produced by alcohol. What happens to me though, is when that allergy kicks in, I go way past it. You know, I get to maybe about three or four drinks and I'm like, ah, this is the spot. But if I drink one more, I'm going to get to that spot even like it's going to be an even better spot. And I usually end up just going straight right past that, that, that sensation that I've been trying to get. Uh, I cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. I didn't have a clue what that meant for 18 years. 
not 18, 16 years. I've read that part of the book and had no clue what that meant. What it means is the truth of my drinking is all of these things happen when I drink. You know, all of these things happen when I drink. I I end up in places that I don't want to go. I end up wanting to losing jobs. I end up driving drunk and almost killing people. All of these things happen when I drink. The false is, um, and we see that again on page 30. I'm going to have you all turn to page 30 is that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. That's the false. The false is that at some point, I'm going to be able to enjoy and control my drinking. And the thing is, if you're on this this call today and you are a real alcoholic, you know that if you're trying to control your drinking, most times, at least for me, it was 90% of the time I was not enjoying it. And if I was enjoying it, a hundred percent of the time I was not controlling it. You know, it's just, those things did not add up hand in hand to me. And, and so, but that is the great obsession. That's the delusion that we are living with is that at somehow, some way, I'm going to be able to do this like a lady at somehow, some way I'm going to be able to have my cake and eat it too. I'm going to be able to drink and not have any consequences. And, and I just need to try harder or try something different or do something different. And so um, it says to them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. You know, this starts to become, you know, I used to make promises to myself all the time. All right. I'm not going to drink before work. I'm not going to drink at work. I'm not going to drink, you know, by myself. I'm not going to drink, you know, and, and eventually slowly, but surely all of those little things just started to go by the wayside. And, um, and I, and, and it, and became normal, you know, taking a drink at work instead of, you know, you know, just stopping before I go to work became normal, you know, all of those things become normal. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm living in a small apartment. I'm depressed all the time. I want to kill myself. And I don't think anything's really all that wrong. You know, this is just how normal people live, right? Um, it's not, I'm going to let you know, it's not, um, So then it talks about their restless, irritable, and discontented unless they again can experience the same ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks. So stone cold sober, without a drink in my body, I am restless, irritable, and discontented. One of my friends likes to say itchy, bitchy, and twitchy. Um, I just, I'm I'm so uncomfortable in my own skin. I just, like... I don't know. I feel like I need to pull it off. Like it's like, everything is just wrong. Like when I'm inside, I want to be outside. When I'm outside, I want to be inside. You know, I, I think everybody's talking about me and everything is happening to me. Like, like, you know, uh, I, you know, see some people at a party and they're talking in the corner and I know they're talking about me and they're talking about how much they hate me or how stupid I was the other day. And, and, and it just, it, it clogs my mind and it, it be- takes me down this, this rabbit hole. And um, 
And I think to myself, I know, I know what'll make this better. A drink one, you know, just one, just one. And I'm going to calm my nerves and I'm going to feel better and everything's going to be better. And, uh, it says drinks, which we see other people taking with impunity, that, that wine that I see my, my mother-in-law pick up and drink, you know, I can do that. Why can't I do that? Like, you know, I'll just watch her and follow what she does and I'll be able to drink the wine the way she drinks the wine. Um, and then they says, after they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, the phenomenon of craving develops. They pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. Um, that happened to me over and over again. After that, that bar situation, I would end up closing the bar. I would end up with other people after the bar drinking more. And at about six o'clock in the morning, I would be walking up my driveway um, just in complete shame remorse, humiliation. Um, and I would just think to myself, I'm never going to do this again. And as I am falling flat on my futon at the time, I'm thinking I'm never going to drink like that again. I'm never going to pick up alcohol ever again. I'm not going to do it. And I would pass out. And usually by the end, it wasn't even a day. It was just a few hours by the time I woke up again, where I'm already starting. My, my, my thoughts are starting to think about like, where can I get the next one? You know, I've, I've thrown everything under the cat litter into the garbage out, you know, into the dumpster. And I'm thinking about digging through that dumpster, finding my bottles that I threw out the night before. And that's, that's the, that's the disease of alcoholism. I have this allergy. When I put alcohol in my body, it reacts abnormally to alcohol that it doesn't in other people. And I have a mind that when I want to stop, I cannot, it refuses. I, I, I am unable to do that. So let's take a look at that mind. Let's go over to page 24. Regular numbers, we're in regular numbers now. At the top of 24, it says, at a certain point in the drinking of every abnormal drinker or al alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop is of absolutely no avail. This tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it is suspected. Just for those of you who are on here, take a moment and think about the absolute worst thing that has ever happened to you while drinking. Absolute worst thing. That happened to you while you were drinking. So consequence, the worst consequence that ever occurred. Did you pick up a drink after that happened? Because I did. That image of that consequence did not keep me from drinking, even though I really wanted to. You know, I really, 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 truly did not want to be this person anymore. I truly, truly wanted to be a different person, but it didn't stop me. It didn't, that wasn't enough. That, that self-will 
wasn't there enough to keep me from picking up a drink again. And then we see this fancy writing. And for those of you who may be new to um, the fancy writing, um, that squiggly writing. So <coughs> when they wrote the big book, it was really expensive to put the squiggly writing in. All right. And so when you see it, they had to pay extra to put that in. So when you see it, that means that it's pretty darn important. You know, it's pretty darn important. So it says that the fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. I no longer have the choice to put it in me. I didn't realize that when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous and people talked about that powerlessness, I thought all it meant was the ability, like when I put it in my body, I can't stop. And really, I have lost the power of choice. I'm completely powerless of if I even put it in my body. Now, it's not saying that I'm going to walk down the street and all of a sudden trip and there's alcohol in my mouth, but I couldn't, I, I didn't have the power not to put it in my mouth. You know, I, I didn't have the power not to put it in my body. And that completely changed and blew my mind. Absolutely blew my mind because I thought I still at least had that power to choose. You know, oftentimes we hear in the meetings, I woke up and chose not to drink today. And if that's something that you can do, right on. That is awesome for you. I can't. I don't have that choice today. It says our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory and suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. So my absolute worst, worst, worst thing that happened to me while drinking is not enough to keep me from putting it in my body again. It's not. That's pretty scary. That's pretty scary. Um, and this talks about a week or a month ago. Oftentimes I hear people talking about, oh, well, you know, wait until you have the first uh, a year to work your steps. Or let's work a step at a, a once a month, you know, and really what this is telling me is I pretty much have a week to a month to, to get through, to find a, 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 a solution with sufficient force, you know, cause my, my self-will is not sufficient enough. I need to take what's, you know, I, I look at it as, you know, What's the longest I can go without drinking? For me at the end, it was a few hours. It was just a few hours. You know, that I know people who in two weeks, two weeks tops, they by that two week mark, they're they're picking up again. I as a sponsor, I need to get that person to solution. I need to get that person to power, you know as soon as possible. And that doesn't mean that I'm necessarily going to, they're going to drink a week or a month from now. But what happens is my ego starts to build up. I come in here completely defeated. And by a week or a month, my ego has come back and said, you know what, maybe, maybe this better new job is, is going to be enough. 
you know, oh, I'm, I'm enjoying all these meetings and going to Euchre and playing, you know, and, and going out to eat with everybody. And the conversation is so wonderful. That's enough. I don't need to go on with these steps. I don't need to go and find this higher power they're talking about. And eventually what happens is my ego becomes bigger and bigger and says, you know what? I don't even need to go to, to AA period anymore. You know, maybe I'll, I'll, I can, you know, I can just read some, some inspirational quotes and, 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 and be a good person in my own life. And and that's enough. Um, So again, it's a pretty scary place to be that when I put alcohol in my body, I can't tell you, I can't predict how much I'm going to put in. I can't predict if I'm. it's going to be one or, or more. And then when I don't have alcohol in my body, I have a brain that continually tells me I need to put alcohol in my body. And so we're going to go back to 28 real quick, or XVIIII, because this doctor who, who really had a thing um, about these chronic alcoholics, he had this thought. He talks about this is repeated over and over. And unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. And after that, he says, on the other hand, and strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who has seemed doomed had so many problems, he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol, the only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules. What is the psychic change he's talking about? You know, what is what is that? Let's go back over to page 25. 25. I have a, I know what my, what my problem is now. I know what alcoholism is and I can put that, that experience of these first 100 and the knowledge of alcoholism up to my own experience in drinking. And I can now see, I do suffer from this thing and it doesn't matter how much I drink and it doesn't matter my consequences, but I do suffer from alcoholism based on the, the fact that I, of that, that allergy and the mental obsession. And so I, I'm pretty hopeless at this point. I don't think that there's anything else I can do for myself. And, uh, and, and at that point, I come over to page 25 and it says, there is a solution. Oh. And then right after that solution, right after that says, almost none of us liked the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of shortcomings which this process requires for its successful consummation. This is the reason that when I'm looking at the first step, I need to be completely convinced that I am an alcoholic. And this is why I need to be able to admit this to my innermost self. This is not an exercise in, in a, a mental exercise. This is an, a, a, an experience. I need to be so completely deflated that I am willing to do something that I don't want to do because there's a solution in that. And it even says, Bill is wonderful. He knows that we don't want to do it. 
he is going to admit that to us right here and right now. You're not going to like it, but you need to do it if you're as hopeless um, as we are. And then, so it talks about the spiritual solution. This is what we have. You know, when uh, when it, we're reading how it works and it says, if you want what we have and are willing to go to any lengths to get it, this is what we have. If we go down to this paragraph, the great fact is just this and nothing less, that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences. This is our solution. Our solution is a spiritual solution. I didn't like that. I didn't like that. I didn't want it to be a spiritual solution, but that is our solution in Alcoholics Anonymous. And you can find that in many, 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 many different ways. Okay. Uh, which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows and towards God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us, which he could never do by ourselves. There's a lot of spiritual stuff there. It's amazing. It's wonderful. Uh, the, the writers of this book also knew that a lot of us didn't want to have the spiritual piece either. And so they, they used many different words, many different terms, so that you understood that, so that the reader understood that this does not have to look one certain way. It does not have to look the same way for me as it does for Ryan or the same way for Ryan as it does for Remy or the same way it does, you know, for Janine. Every one of us in here can have a different spiritual connection and a different spiritual experience. They don't care as long as it's not you. Um, so those who are not as spiritually inclined, there is another explanation of what a spiritual experience is as well. On page 27, it says ideas, emotions, and attitudes were, which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men are suddenly cast to one side and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. So. That's all good. That's great. But really, my problem was drinking. Why are you talking about my ideas and my emotions and all of these other things that need to be changed? Why are you doing that? Like, I just need to, to not drink. Drinking's my problem, right? Um, well, so if we continue to read this book um, and, and, and we find out that drinking is not fully our problem, we are going to go to page 23. It says these observations would be ac academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. So, it's all good. If I just put the plug in the jug, I can go on my merry way. Unfortunately, my mind pops that plug out so many times. So <clears throat> let's see what happens to that mind. We're going to go over to into we agnostics. Without a drink in hand, without a solution, 
This is what my life looks like. On page 52, we were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were a prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. That's exactly what my life looked like. Um, that's what my life looks like when I'm not practicing the spiritual principles in all my affairs. That's what my life looks like when I just stop drinking and don't do anything else. That's what my life looks like at 16 years sober when I'm no longer a practitioner of these um, principles that are in our book. Um, that's what my life looks like when I'm trying to run the show on my own power. And this is what we talk about when we're talking about our spiritual malady. And when I'm living in this spiritual malady, it is very hard, very, very hard to stay able to, to be mentally um, prepared to deal with any obsessions that might come up. Um, and so this book talks about was not a basic solution of these bedevilments more important than whether we should see newsreels of lunar flight. So it's talking about being open to this idea of a, of a, of a spiritual solution. And, um, you know, when I'm looking at my problem and I'm placing this experience up against my own drinking experience, and I'm seeing the knowledge of my actual drinking or my alcoholism, and I'm saying, I can't do this. I'm, I'm, I have absolutely no ability to do this on my own. And I'm sitting there with my sponsor and she's like, are you, do you, are you ready for a different solution? And I sit there and I say, yes, I am. She brings me to page 47 and we have a question there. That's our second step question. It says, do I now believe, or am I even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? Most people have been able to say yes. When I originally came across that question, I looked at my sponsor and I said, no, I know that you're in some sort of racket to get me into some sort of God I don't believe in. And she just threw up her hands and said, Risa, can you just believe you're not God? And I said, I can do that. And instead of sitting there and giving me, you know, uh, assignments to write a God list or what my God is or isn't, or trying to force me into to having this idea, this belief. She said, great, you're on your way. Let's keep it moving. We can't sit here and continue to believe, you know, figure this out. She said, great, you know, you're not God. You're open to a solution. Let's keep it moving. I said, all right, let's do that. So let's look at um, the steps that we have written on page 59. <clears throat> so our first step, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. This is the problem. This step is our problem. And we is not the... I, I love the fellowship. I, I love being a part of this thing. The fellowship is extremely important. The we that they're talking about here is the first 100. This is what they did. And so we admitted, the first 100 admitted we were powerless over alcohol. Do that too. You might have what we got. And so this is our problem. Then we come to 
Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. That is our solution. That's the solution. It doesn't say it doesn't say came to believe in a power greater than ourselves. It just says came to believe. So if you want, you can believe what you want to believe. Abby and, and Bill had a wonderful experience about just come up with your own conception. You know, um, <clears throat> I believe that the 12 steps worked for my sponsor. And that was all it took. I believed if I did these 12 steps, I would have what my sponsor had. And so that was that was what carried me through. Um, and then three, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. So what that is, is that was a decision to take the steps. You know, there is a lot of amazing stuff in step three. But really what it comes down to is I can't do this. I am completely and utterly powerless. There is a solution out there. Am I willing to do the things that I don't really want to do in order to find that solution? And so um, our steps five or four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine is the program of action. And after the ninth step, there is a promise in our book that we are recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body. We are recovered at step nine. However, <clears throat> however, Bill had a spiritual experience and that in of itself did not keep him sober. Six months later, he found himself wanting to drink again when life got a little difficult. And he found that he needed to continue to use these spiritual principles and to pass these messages, this message along to others in order to continue his uh, ability to stay sober. And so after nine, if I don't continue to improve and, and um, grow. grow, I am going to go back to where I was at irritable, restless, and discontented, you know? So we have A's very own relapse prevention program, which is steps 10, 11, and 12. The 12th step, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. On page 164, I'm almost done, I promise. On page 164 of our book, it says, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. I cannot pass this along if I am not continuing to practice steps 10 and 11 in my life. I am unable to be able to, to practice the principles of this, of this book and of this program in my life if I am not continuing watching for when, for, for when the spiritual aspects of my disease crop up that are selfish, self-centeredness, fear, anger, resentment, that all comes in sobriety. 
And I have a solution to those things today that does not involve drinking. But if I'm not staying spiritually fit, I am unable to pass along something I haven't got. And so I have to continue to practice 10 and 11 um, in all of my life. And uh, 10, 11, and 12, for a long time, I thought were for optional, and they're not. Um, So with that, um, thank you again for letting me be of service um, on this New Year's Day. I hope everybody has a wonderful, wonderful uh, new year. And uh, I look forward to seeing you all here in the future. Amen.